Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and the 97.5 Network, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, it was a fun week this week. Uh, we'll get to your expeditions in a bit. How you doing, man? Wait, speak for yourself. First of all, I love how you always start to show that you're thrilled. One of these days, you're going to just admit that you're not always thrilled. Sometimes you're just okay. You're not I'm thrilled. always thrilled to be talking sports. Uh, I'm yeah. not always thrilled to be talking with you. That's yeah, okay. That's right. uh-huh. <laughs> but, but we are thrilled to talk sports, maybe not together. Yeah, but don't tell me it was a great week for sports because one of our professional sports teams keeps giving up more than half a dozen goals. I mean, they're actually giving up football scores instead of hockey scores, right? I, so I, I, it hasn't been a great week for everybody. I was and if you're an go- Eagles fan, it's not a great week at all, as I can, as I can attest to the fact that uh, my kid who's uh, 2,000 miles away sent me a text saying to that today saying, I hate Howie Roseman. So, <laughs> so we're going to get to the Eagles and their moves and Howie Roseman and why your son is echoing me. We're going to get to the Flyers and their difficulty with stopping a beach ball from going in the hockey net. We're going to get to Coach Gary Waters joining us about 4.05 to talk some NCAA tournament, Sweet 16. NCAA. I want to do a road trip, though. Yeah? So, so I want to go to New York. I want to get as many people as we can. And I want to print up some shirts that say Van Dolan and, and just go in. We will get to James Dolan batting <laughs> people from the arena who wear shirts that say Van Dolan. We've got Keith Pompey joining us from out in L.A. after the Sixers-Lakers game last night. I did want to ask you first before we get Coach Waters, you made your way back into the arenas for the first time in about a year. Uh, what was that experience like first to be back in the arena and then second, we've talked on this show a lot about how the experience for you of going with your son is is what it's really about. You guys haven't had that for a year. He's away at school now, but he was back for you to go to these two games. What was that like? Yeah, well, from a father-son perspective, it was incredible. It's something that that, you know, we've always talked about how it's a it's been a bond since he was two and a half years old. He he has always been a sports fan and so going to those events and sitting next to him and just talking sports and and hanging out has been something that's been sorely missed, but necessary at the time. So it was kind of cool. Now, with regard to the events, they were two completely different events. In the exact this, same arena, right? The exact same arena with the same number of fans. And, and so the Sixers game is, was exciting. Uh, it was much more fun than I thought it was going to be, especially when they put up the starting lineups. And, and on top of Embiid not being playing, you, you had... Curry, who wasn't playing, and then all of a sudden Simmons at the last minute who wasn't playing. So the thought was, well, they're going to lose this game. And they played really well, considering that they did not have three of their starters. Um, Then you get to the Flyers game. And while it was close, especially for a Flyers game, um, they're still pumping in noise. So you just hear this like din in the background that, you know, I got when, when, when you're watching on TV, but when you're there, it's kind of, there's something off-putting about it, especially since there's people there. You think they're just going to offset the booing of the fans to try and balance no, it No, because it, it, la- it wasn't loud enough to have any impact other than to be annoying. It, it, it didn't make it seem like it was a full arena. It was just kind of this like fake kind of buzz. And it, it didn't do anything. And maybe if the Flyers would actually score some goals and make some exciting plays, you just have people yelling, let's go Flyers. And, and that would be that. But it, but it wasn't that way. 
And so they were completely different events, but man, just being back was incredible. And you're going to keep going back. We'll talk more after we talk to Coach Waters this coming yes, week. because spring be, training. I mean, because the opening basically. day is next week. And you're okay. going to do a doubleheader next Saturday, hit a Phillies yes. game and a Sixers game, correct? Yeah, but right now we have we have uh, NCAA stuff to talk about, and we have a great guest to talk about. Well, let's so bring on introduce him? Coach Gary Waters. Coach Waters, thanks so much for hopping back on with us to talk a little tourney and NCAA. How are you doing today? I'm doing fabulous. Thanks for having me on. Uh, we we love getting to talk to you about everything. I, you were one of the the first people I thought of, you know, as a person who's coached all different places. You know, we saw a lot of double digit seeds find success and start in this tournament. Oral Roberts, Oregon, Syracuse, UCLA. What's your thought on Cleveland you, State, Cleveland State when they were there? What's your thought on what you're seeing with a little more parity in these tournaments that the number next to the seed doesn't always determine what's going on right now. That's exactly right. And I'm telling you, it's even more so in these times. Now think about the NBA playoffs. Uh, all of a sudden you've seen Miami get all the way to the top and get to the finals because they were in those, what do you call, uh, uh, bubbles. And, and, and that's a whole different lifestyle. And, and if you're not a team that's together and, 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 and work together as a group or you don't or you're not very disciplined, it's going to be very difficult to move forward during these times. And that's what's happening in the NCAA tournament, I think. We, Coach, we had we had Coach Donahue on from Penn last week. We were talking about the difference between playing in this this smaller environment where everything's in Indiana as opposed to traveling all over the country and how much better it is for the players and the coaches as opposed to the fans being in one location and not doing all the traveling. What is the benefit to, to the teams and then creating possibly a more balanced environment when everybody's in the same place? Well, you know what I think? I, and this is just my opinion now, guys. I think it, it reminds them of AAU. When you're in these different places and you everybody's together, they're playing together, everything's going. So, Think about how they compete during those times. They don't care who they play. They're, they just want to play. And so now a lesser team that, you know, people thought because they had the, the big arenas, everything going wild, everything's tough on them, is not affecting them at all. All they're doing is just playing basketball. You know, conventional wisdom going into the tournament is that the Big Ten was the strongest conference. I was gutted by Rutgers' loss. Michigan is the lone team left standing in the Sweet 16. What did we see out of the Big Ten that they struggled so much? Where on the flip side, we see the Pac-12 with a quarter of the teams in the Sweet 16 right now. Well, I think it's a couple of things that's happening. One, and, and people don't want to admit that, but in this tournament, like the Big Ten tournament, those are some heavy hitters playing in that tournament throughout the year. And I think they just beat each other up during that period of time. And, and they had to be up on every, every moment just to have success. Once they got to the tournament, they took a, a, a breath of relief or a sigh. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're back in that kind of situation again. If you notice, most of those games went to the last seconds in the last minutes of the game to see who would win against the, uh, the, the Big Ten teams. And I think that has a lot to do with it. You know, Coach, I've been impressed by the fact that we're starting to see more prof former professional NBA players that are becoming really good coaches, not just good recruiters, but really good coaches. And the two I'm thinking about in particular right now are obviously uh, Patrick Ewing 
and Jawan Howard at Michigan. Uh, what All is right. it like to see these guys come from the NBA, go back to college, especially to their own alma maters, and be able to recruit and then coach these kids? Well, I think it's good to see them have success because, you know, they put a lot of time into this game, and some of them have been coaches on the NBA level. However, I got to – you know, I got it's a question mark to me because you have all these coaches today that go through uh, what I call the grassroots and and work hard to become a head coach, and now all of a sudden, just because that person is from the alma mater, they get ahead of them. So I, you know, it's, it, it, it can go, it can cut both sides. You know, what's your take on who's left for the Sweet 16? Who are you watching out for, both as a surprise that people aren't expecting and? You know, somebody that's a favorite that people would say is chalk and a boring pick. Well, obviously, you got to think about Gonzaga, and, and and you understand if Gonzaga wins this tournament, it'd be the first time since the '70s a mid-major program has won a national tournament. So that tells you how important this is for Gonzaga. They'll be the next since Bobby Knight to, to be undefeated to get to the finals, and uh, and so you got to keep an eye on them. See if if it's what we really see is true because in the past Gonzaga has faltered in the la- in the in the closing moments of the big games. Uh so you know I know they want to see that and 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 I'm not caught up in closing you know uh how you play in those last moments because it, on a given night and this is my belief and that's the reason why we, when I coached we won so many uh NCAA games against high ranked teams is because I believe that the game is built down to that moment and if you can build your team up for that moment, you got a chance to upset anyone. And I think a lot of the other coaches are doing the same. They're upsetting teams, and it's happening. You know, we now, also like to have you, you ask not also, just... Oh, sorry, go ahead. You asked also about who's a surprise. I don't consider them a surprise, but they are a surprise. And that's Loyola Chicago. If you remember three years ago, they were in the, in the Final Four then. And so now the center on that group and one of the one of the guards on that group are the only two left from that team, but they were two of the better players. And now they're back again. Same thing happened to me when I was at Cleveland State and and uh, and we went to the NCAA. But the team that was the major team in the conference was uh, Butler, and they had a great center. And they went to NCAA Final Fours and Final Games two straight years back to back. You know, Coach, one of the things that we we notice when we talk to people like you, uh, coaches like you, is that you're more than a coach. Um, and and so one of the things I was thinking about as, as I was watching the first round, the first week of the NCAA tournament was what happened with Colorado. Colorado came into the tournament and just went crazy against Georgetown. And then right before their second round game, there was the tragedy in Boulder. As a, as a coach, how do you yes, deal yes. with something like that, and how does it not impact the players and the staff? Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, and I, I didn't look at it that way, but when you think about it, you know it had to affect them. And you had many coaches from that area talking on that issue and all the things that occurred. And, you know, it's, it's, it's tough because you're trying to balance – so many things at once and now not only do that add in the uh the bubble and all that's going on in there you know i had two of my players one of my players and one of my past coaches one of my past coaches is on the uh, staff of Loyola, and one of my past players you may remember or earl boykins yeah he's on the staff at arkansas 
So they're in the Sweet 16, and they and they both called me. We're talking about the things that's going on, and the verbatim, both of them mentioned how tough being in the bubble is. And one coach, one even told me that they they, they had to get a, a psychologist to meet with their team just to help some of them. You know, we, we we think about the bubble as what happened in the and in the NBA, the NCAA. We don't really think of it as a bubble, but it is. What what it what has been the experience that you've heard about as to what the challenge is for these student athletes as they go through the tournament? Well, let me tell you this: you you love this. One told me that the bubble is like being. If they have any idea what being in prison is, this is what the bubble is. They said they they got to line up. They got to take numbers. They got to get in rows, and then they come and get tested. And then they, to get their food, they got to line up to go, and they only get one hour a day to go out on the on the courtyard. <laughs> that's pretty crazy, isn't it? Yeah, the experience and, and, must be surreal for these athletes. I mean, they they've waited their oh, whole life for this, and here they're locked down. <laughs> yes, and and I and for the ones that can make it through this, you can imagine, you know how how hard they had to work at this and still have success. That's why I'm giving Gonzaga a lot of credit. Gonzaga, you know, they haven't had any major issues concerning the, the pandemic all year. So you're telling me their their kids aren't going out and being being social? Something is I mean, they're doing a great job there in Gonzaga. Yeah, they they definitely are. I mean and look, we originally had you on the show the first time for your book, Character Coach. And so you're somebody that can speak to coaches and, and players. There's a couple issues that happened on and off the court that we wanted to ask you about, too. We saw an Ohio State player, after missing a free throw, get death threats that led to a police investigation. He took to Twitter afterwards and said, honestly, what did I do to deserve this? I'm human. Can you speak to the pressure that these players play under and, and how fandom sometimes goes a bit too far? Yeah, I tell you something. When I heard that and, and I read it, actually I read it, I said, what is, what have, where have we gone to? You know, you think about over, over, over the overseas and in foreign countries about soccer and how crazy they get over there. Have we gone that far? Is, is, it, it's, is it all, live all for that? And, and, and as you said, the players are the ones that have to deal with all this. And to go out on that floor and compete and perform at the same time and do their very best, I know it's got to be difficult. And something, I don't want to say something has to be done, because we both know something should be done. But at the same token, you know, we got to start working on the thing that I'm putting out about character, and the parents have, have to be the front runners in this, because they got to teach their kids what, how important this is. So what do you do? I mean, you, you can only control what you can control. So as, as a Correct. coach, what, what do you, I know what you're saying is all of us as parents, not, not the parents of student athletes, but the parents of our children right. in general, we have, to, we have to raise our kids to respect each other. But as, as a yes. coach, what can you possibly do when you have students that they're student athletes. They're on social media. There's, there's nothing you're going to do to get them off social media. They can't live in a psychological bubble and a social bubble. So they, they, are, they are forced to deal with these ridiculous people who, who are taking this to a level that it shouldn't be taken to when, when the kid just made a mistake. And by the way, he had a pretty good game. So, you know, he missed a <laughs> shot. But so exactly, and I'm saying that as a Michigan grad. 
So what what do you, what do you do as a coach? <laughs> what do you do as a as a coach to help a, a, a kid through this? Yeah, it, it's really tough, but I but I I don't think you can run away from it though. And I think you have to sit them down and you got to have what I call social forms and talk about this and then even take it as far as to the student body and have, and have them sit down and talk with you about it. And so you can let them know how, how the players feel, how people feel, because what's happening is everybody's like what we've been talking about in a bubble and they're living their own lives and doing whatever they think they should do. You know, that's the problems we're going to with all this stuff with Black Lives Matter and all the different things that are going on. Because everything, everyone's hidden away from everything, and they haven't heard what what the truth is. And so you you got to sit down and explain it to them so they understand. Because some are just naive and, and 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 unaware, but then there are others that are not naive and unaware. They're they're just being rude and and mean. Yeah, there's some people who know exactly what they're doing. I mean, I always have a rule: don't feed the trolls. But I mean, that takes trolling to a whole nother level, you know, on the coaching front, we've seen a lot of turnover uh, with schools at the end of the season. Something that surprised me when it came across today, Shaka Smart is leaving Texas for Marquette oh, yes. uh, on its, on its face. You would think Texas, a big time job, obviously a lot of pressure with the boosters. What's your thoughts on balancing the coaches responsibility to the athletes they've recruited with the dilemma of them leaving when the situation isn't right for either side, that's got to be a challenge. Well, it is a challenge. And think about it. Now, when you try to compare Marquette with Texas, that's two different animals. Okay. And when you look at it on, on, on the Texas side, it, it really is scary to think that a coach can have one of the best records they've had over the last 10 years. Okay. But lose in the first round, then all of a sudden they're the worst demon in America. And so, what I feel bad for Shaka is that he had to move out of that. And I think he got ahead of what was going on. He's saying, you know, and I, and I bet you it's the, it's, it's, uh, it's not only the, the institution you're dealing with all the boosters and everyone that, you know, they see things their way and, and they're coming and coming and unleashing things that are really bad for the coach. So he, he's trying to find a way to get out of it. But at the same time, you know, a person that's had a record, and, and done as well as he done this year, all of a sudden you get fired because you only lose one game at the end. Uh, that's pretty rough. So what do you, what do you doing? So again, I asked the question, what do you do? And I know it's a general question, but you, you now have a school in Texas where kids have been recruited and like it or not, the fact is, I know if my kid was playing sports, he would be going to the school that I would be most comfortable with that coach. Okay. Yes. Right. It's it, the, the name right. on the front does mean something, but it's really about what I feel comfortable with my kid learning because these are the most important years of their lives as far as growing up emotionally. So at that point, it, we have more movement. There's no doubt about that with regard to student athletes, they have more freedom of movement, but what do you do in those situations? First of all, as a coach and then as a parent, well, I tell you, as a coach, it's really difficult. Now, think about the portal that has been exi- that came into existence this year. That's the worst thing ever. And what I think is being lost here in the whole process, and it's a part of my book. You know, you talked about respect. There's a there's a principle on respect in there, but the, there's also a principle on there that talks about uh, loyalty. 
and people aren't loyal anymore. It's what can you do for me at this particular moment, and if it doesn't fit my agenda, then we move on. Now, that's the same thing. I'm, I'm saying that about higher administration, but I'm also saying that about coaches. Coaches are leaving without a hesitation. So no one is committed to one another. The players aren't committed because they're learning it through AAU that you can jump from team to team. And then you got the administration that says, hey, we're paying you all this money, and if you don't bring it right right, right now, you're gone. Then you had a coach saying, hey, I got to get out of here because I got to beat the posse because I don't know what's happening here. I mean, it's, it's, it's really a bad setup that's going on in college athletics. And that's the reason why I wrote this book on 10 principles of a character coach. Well, it's it's not even it's it's everything that you're saying, and now there's a, an additional element. So now with the G League, you have a situation where they have this team, the Ignite, where they can bring in additional student athletes who are kids that could be going to college. And Hugh Cronin came out and and complained about the fact that he thinks that one of the kids that he had recruited was being recruited away by the G League, and he was saying, I think his point was look, don't say that we're on the same side. You're recruiting kids away from my school and not saying things that are positive towards me. And if that's going to be the case, let's just call it what it is and let those kids go pro and let them go into the NBA draft as opposed to this G League. So you have this additional element. As a college coach, what do you do at this point? Do you throw up your hands or... Yeah, we can all read your book. Jason and I have both read it cover to cover. You know that. And we're looking forward to the next one when it comes out. But what do you do do as a college coach at this point? Do you do what John Beeline did and said, you know what? I'm just going, I'm just going to the NBA at this point. Like, what do you do? Yeah. Well, and I tell you, you hit it right on the head. You know, two people I had conversations with. Uh, at, at different times, we were, one when we were at a clinic, one when you know I was at a, something else. I remember, and both made a decision said to get out of the profession, and they weren't young in the profession. Uh, they weren't, I mean, and they weren't very old because they could have stayed longer. But they just said we can't just deal with all these issues that are going on. And one was Bobby Knight, and the other was uh, Gary Williams. And they all, and they, I mean, there's so many things that are occurring that's coming up that, you know, you, you never had to face before. And now the G League coming in recruiting, I mean, that's a really, really big thing because at one point, I don't know, I, I don't know if you remember, is that uh, they were sending them overseas for that first year, you know, so they can get that first year out of the way and then bringing them back to the pros. Now what they're doing, you said they created the G League, now they're recruiting, you know, and so why would they go into – a zero and done just you can go straight from high school and i expect that to happen pretty soon i expect them to go back to that i'd be honest with you because the one isn't really working because they're really not making a connection with the institution academically it's really just a, a farce and everything else that deals with that one and done and then they don't want to go beyond that because they think they're infringing on their rights so you got you got a lot of stuff going on. If if it was left to me, I would say they got to at least stay two years because they need to get that education of of life in college, not just only the education in the classroom. How to how to deal with things. So when they get to the real world with the men in the NBA, they at least have some understanding what they're about to face. So if as as the guy who literally wrote the book, Ten Principles of a Character Coach. If you were able to get all the coaches and all the student athletes and all the parents in a room together, what would you say to them 
to, to get everybody on the pay, same page if you were the guy in total control? Boy, you you asked some some tough questions here. <laughs> well, on the same, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the one thing you have to have them understand is is that they're going into an environment that is different from what they've been in. You know, because they're coming from high school, they're at home, parents are there, committed to them, taking care of them. Now you're going into a place where you know you've been thrust into immediacy do everything immediate right now if you go to the pros then if you if you go to college you know uh you really your mind isn't focused if you're one of those one and dones on being in college you're looking at the pros but you're just enjoying yourself in every moment you're in college so you're really not getting the extent of what college should be about so when you talk to these parents you know you will you have to let them understand that they need some leadership in their life because if the leadership isn't today it's going to hurt them tomorrow. And and that's where I think they're faltering at. You know, Jeff asked if you were the leader, the, the leader, Mark Emmert, has been dealing with some, some issues and challenges throughout this, whether it's the disparity between men's and women's sports, uh, players wearing t-shirts that say not NCAA property, trying to make statements, thoughts of delaying games or boycotting games. What's your thoughts on the statements that the athletes are making? And how do you think the NCAA is going to try to handle this? It sounds like they're going to hire somebody to review uh, disparities after this is all done. What's your thoughts on, on how the NCAA is handling this and how the athletes are using their platforms? Well, and, and, and they've done that in the past. And I'm going to give you an example. One situation they had was uh, cost of living. You know, everyone's complaining that they don't they don't have money. And if you remember the player at Connecticut that came out and said, we can't even eat at night. We don't have food and money to do that. And uh, and and with all that said, the NCAA made a move and they and they've really kind of given something back to the student athletes and said, hey, you can have uh, your cost of living. Now, what is cost of living? And that is. You know, when you get a scholarship to an institution, that scholarship is worth probably 80% of cost, of cost of living, meaning room, board, tuition, and books. That's about 80%. So what happens to the 20%? The 20% has not been given to them. So now they're giving that to them. So let's say, uh, you know, you got most players getting two, three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 beyond what they get for their scholarship. So they're getting something. However, at the same time, when you think about likeness and things of that magnitude, that's about them. And that should have been corrected a long time ago. And so you got all these different issues coming up. And, uh, and, and the NCAA is trying to deal with all these issues and at the same time deal with all the, the court cases they have concerning these issues. I tell you, it's tough on them. It is definitely going to be something to watch. When we have you on about your next book, we can talk about it more. The book is 10 Principles of a Character Coach, Coach Gary Waters. Thanks so much for always giving us a few minutes and going on deep dive and what's going on with the NCAA. Okay, definitely. And uh, I tell you, I enjoy talking on your show and you do a great job. Uh, thank you so much. You have a great day, Coach. We appreciate it. Okay, take care. Jeff, he still likes you after that tough questioning that you, you had there. You brought out your lawyer skills. You, you got deep with him. Uh, I like that we can talk to him about basketball, but I like that we can talk to him about the impact of everything else around basketball. And, and he speaks about it in a profound way from so many different vantage points. Your thoughts on what we heard. I just think it's interesting to look at it from a coach's perspective. 
You know, we don't we don't often have the opportunity as fans to to kind of get that side of it, and and people don't realize how complex it is, especially in today's college sports world, to be a coach. They think it's as simple as recruit, coach, end of it. There's so much that goes on, and what's been going on over the last over just this season, if you think about it, is a microcosm of everything, not controversial things necessarily. But just everything that goes on in life, the fact I I I got to tell you, with the end with the NBA bubble, we've talked to to people in the NBA bubble, and we knew about that. I don't I don't know about you, I didn't really think about what they're going through. You don't hear a lot about it. You assume that there's more movement, but it it doesn't appear there is, and and that's an issue. And then, you, you know, I only thought about it today with with the issue with Colorado, which what is it like? For those kids and those coaches to to know that their friends on their campus are locked down while they're about to start a basketball game. You know, it's amazing. We look at it as, isn't it a great thing that they don't have to travel so far and they're all in the same place and it's good for resting and team bonding. And then the flip side is you're hearing that that's not the way that they're seeing it and feeling it. So, and I'm surprised that you're not hearing more of those stories told, especially because you have seen stories told about how players, men and women, feel like they're being treated by the NCAA throughout this process. Yeah, and and then you have issues like Shaka Smart, who it's a very complicated issue. Texas is a huge school, but it is known as one of those schools that it is impossible to be a coach unless you are on top all the time. The boosters are impossible to deal with. And so Shaka Smart leaving a school like University of Texas for a good basketball school. Don't get me wrong. Marquette is known as a good basketball school, but it's Marquette. It's a much smaller school. It's a much smaller platform. And he's leaving there. And then all the complicated factors that go into that. And, and you know, what's amazing to me is Coach Waters kind of, he can summarize it really well. And he's just, he's got a head on his shoulders that it, it's past my time. My kid's not going to be put, playing professional basketball. But if your kids somehow get a lot taller than you, no chance. Then, then he isn't he the kind of guy that you want your kids to go play for? He is. But let's be honest. Even if my kids get taller than me, they have no chance with the skill level I have. Why don't we hit the break when we come back? We'll Team talk manager, Eagles, <laughs> water boy. We'll talk Eagles. We'll get Keith Pompey to hop on. Stick with us. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Jeff, we'll get to some NBA basketball when Keith hops on in a few minutes. Uh, remind me again, what was the text message from your son about Howie Roseman today? It did not come from me to you. It came well, from well, your son to you. The, 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 fun, the funny thing was, it's just, it was just a random text. And anybody who has kids in college knows kids barely contact you, especially during their school week. And then all of a sudden, randomly, just in the middle of the day was, quote, I'm tired of Howie Roseman. <laughs> so the best part of that for our listeners is, Jeff didn't know that the Eagles had made a trade and no. he was calling me to talk about something else. 
So he gets the text message right as I pick up and he goes, did the Eagles do something? No, no. I, I said, did the Eagles do another stupid thing? <laughs> and, <laughs> and he's so like, I, why? <laughs> I go and I find out that Howie Roseman is being Howie Roseman. Philadelphia is going to ship the sixth overall pick in this year's draft to Miami for the 12th overall pick and a 2022 first round pick. They also will swear second round picks, 156. Uh, the Eagles will send, Miami will send the 123rd pick. So I have a question for you. Yes, did, did third the, round picks. Didn't, didn't the Eagles tank their last game? They did. Okay, so they tanked their last game for a higher draft pick which they just gave away. So, all right. I do not, I am not going to argue for Howie Roseman, but I'm going to. Yeah, argue I, I was, I was, the day here. that happens, everybody, hold on, hold on. The day that happens that you stand up for Howie Roseman, everybody look out their window because hell will have frozen over. <laughs> you will not put me in that position. Um, for those who don't have confidence in Howie, the 12th pick is much easier to screw up than the sixth. Hold on, it's getting frosty but outside. Get they're, they're leveraging one pick to uh -huh. get multiple picks. And so I guess his feeling is he moves back six spots in this year's draft. He picks up another first. He assumes that Carson Wentz plays 75% of the plays and he ends up with three first round draft picks in next year's draft. The That's process. all I can think that how he's doing. Now, here's the thing. The process is back and now it's in football. Here's the problem with that. Yeah. You have the reality of how he's draft record recently. <laughs> Uh, 2014, I believe, is the last pro bowler that was drafted for this team. That's only seven years ago. That's a problem, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, God. And then, so then it comes after a report that was out before that, which was then pulled back, that they were actually trying to move up to get the third pick from the Dolphins to draft Zach Wilson from BYU. Well, to be, to be fair, they were involved in the trade that somebody did get the third draft pick. It just happened to be the 49ers. Oh. So, so Jalen Hurts better be really good because if he's not and whoever the 49ers take with the third pick turns out to be great, oh boy, is it going to be a <laughs> long rest of the 2020s. Meanwhile, uh, the Eagles have what would you would assume would be a new backup to Jalen Hurts, Joe Flacco gets a one-year deal, 3.5 guaranteed, and the opportunity to earn well, four well, million he, well, more. He, he's in the he's in the middle of the peak of his career, right? Not quite. <laughs> and it here's my concern with this. Okay. But at least he's a local boy. So it's a feel-good story. He's a local boy, but he still doesn't seem like a guy who's ready to be a backup. Like he talks about competing and and like, yes, I want you to compete. Well, no, no, no. I'm, I'm okay with that. Be better. That's no, but that's what you backup. want. You're here that's for, what you want. But he's here to be a backup, correct? Yeah, but you don't, you don't want him coming here to say that. As, right. as long as behind the scenes they're saying, look, Jalen, it's your job, it's, but you still got, you got, you got to compete. There's going to be somebody behind you that's going to be more than competent. This guy won a Super Bowl. So it, it, it pushes you, but at the same time, and, and by the way, I don't think that, that Jalen Hurts and Joe Flacco have a, as thin a skin as, as Carson Wentz had. So, you know, Jay. Jalen Hurts has already dealt with this. He was the starting quarterback at the number one school in the country. And at halftime, he got pulled. And then he yeah. went someplace else and didn't pout. He went to Oklahoma and excelled. I did like the Anthony Harris signing that they made in the secondary. I thought that was a good move by them. Oh, well, well that's, that solidified the whole defense. Here's the problem. And now I've got Keith on the line. So I'm going to have to hear about it from the two of you. 
the Giants are running circles around the Eagles right now. Now, I'm not going to give Keith a chance to start off talking about the Giants. We'll get to that at the end. You know, of the well, well, guess what? I am. Hey, Keith, do you realize the Giants now have a higher draft pick than the Eagles? <sighs> yeah, I mean, I, I think somebody's <laughs> lifted a Mickey in someone's drink and he gave up the sixth pick. You guys <laughs> Oh my goodness! Uh, you make it stop. Keith, so, so for question. those that don't know, we have Keith Pompey from the Philadelphia Inquirer on right now. And if there's anybody better to talk to the day after the trade deadline, I don't know it. So, well, what, trade Keith, by the way, do you have an like an extra phone on trade on draft on uh, you know the trade deadline? You got burners and stuff. <laughs> no, it's, it's crazy though. But let me tell you this, man. It was it was a bizarre day because the phone kept ringing. And I, you know, normally like sometimes you get real focused and you have your ringer off and you just like pecking away typing, but it's, I didn't have it. And every time I kept running to the phone doing this and that, it was just, it was ridiculous, man. It really was. It really was. I could barely keep up with all the rumors. Uh, first Kyle Lowry was moving for basically the whole Sixers team. Then he wasn't moving. Then the Sixers were acquiring George Lynch. Then there were reports that. George Hill or George Hill, then there were reports, I don't even know anymore, there were reports that Danny Green was on the move. Can you explain to me what happened yesterday, Keith? Well, here's the deal with the whole Danny Green thing. In order for you to get Kyle Lowry, you had to you had to ship Danny Green out because he makes $15 million. Um, You weren't going to give up Tobias Harris, uh, Joel, or, or Ben. So Danny had to be the piece that goes. Now, the thing is, as much as you know, everyone wants to say once they got George Hill, the Sixers were still trying to get Kyle now. I mean, they, they, they were under the belief that, you know, Miami wasn't going to be able to pull the trigger, and they were. So they were still trying to get Kyle. Um, it just so happened it came down to the trade day, deadline that they weren't able to get him. So, you know, that's where the whole Danny Green thing came in. You know, Danny knew. He was told by his agent, you know, days prior that, look, man, you're probably going to get traded, <laughs> you know. So he was he was uh, expecting to get traded. And then once, you know, because we're out west, so it was 12 o'clock. So after 12 o'clock rolled by, you know, he was like, okay, well, I get to – now I finally get to get my championship ring and play against the Lakers, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so was that great game that he played, probably the best game he's played as a sixer, uh, was last night was it the relief that he was still going to be here was it the motivation he was playing against his old team when he got the ring uh is this the danny green that we can expect to see going into the playoffs i don't think that's going to be his role like you know danny was i mean he can make shots but he was more like attacking he was you know that that guy now the one thing i will say is you know danny green is there's two ways you can look at it you know, is Danny Green the Danny Green of like four years ago, maybe three years ago? No. But, you know, he's a good defender. Well, more so a good leader than anything, right, that you need in the locker room. Secondly, I will say this, that, you know, yeah, there had to be some motivation there. I mean, come on, we're, we're all human. I mean, we know, like, if someone's going to trade you and the team that already traded you, well, you're motivated to prove the team that was thinking about trading you that they made a bad move. And you're motivated to stick it to the team that traded you. You know what I mean? Like getting buckets against a team and a fan base in LA who thought like thought like the guy couldn't shoot. So he's out there hitting eight threes, and now they're all waking up th this morning talking about how can he didn't do that with us. 
you know. So there's a, yeah, I mean we would be lying to ourselves if we said there weren't there wasn't any motivation. Okay, so the one the one move they were able to make was George Hill and Iggy Brzdikas. Uh, I'm not going to waste any time on Iggy Brzdikas. Don't you even try to tell me that he's ever going to actually see the court. What exactly is George Hill going to bring to this team and how much better can it make it? Um, I, I think he's going to bring like, he's going to be a, a poor man's Kyle Lowry in a way. You know, Kyle was going to be a starter. This guy's going to come off the bench. You know, they're both the same age. They both can knock down uh, shots. He's actually a better shooter than, than Kyle, you know, from three. Um, he's he's a good defender, and he's a poor, pure point guard. I mean, you know, I look at him as being the sixth man now. You know, I look at him as being a guy who won't start, but he's going to play considerable minutes. You know, Danny Green may take a hit. Um, ben Simmons is going to be off the ball a lot. I mean, I look at him now. I do think that they still need a guy who can create his own shot, a guy who can um, take over games. I don't look at uh, George Hill is that guy, but y'all know when you look at the Sixers, the one thing, another thing that was always missing is someone who can run the offense, someone who can be a quality two-way player. Like we look at Shake Milton, he's a great scorer, but is Shake Milton a pure point guard? No. Can he defend? No. We look at Furkan and we ask the same thing, and the question is no on the last two. So when you have a guy like a George Hill. You know, he's more of a complete player who's going to help them, and especially when um, you take Ben Simmons off the ball. Did they give any timeline for when we might see him on the court? I know he just kind of got the cast off. He was coming back from injury. Is there any thought about when we might actually see this team play together? You know, I was told that, you know, it it could be, you know, a a source said it could be sometime like next week or, or what have you. Um, like, you know, they, they, they haven't at the, at the time of the trade, um, they didn't fit look at the medical, but from the people they talked to, that is one of those things that he'll be back. And then something else we got to understand when we talk about, uh, Oklahoma city, you know, Oklahoma city was just getting guys. They had really no intention of playing guys, you know, and, and what I mean by that is they were, when they got them, they were trade trips from the moment they picked them up. And he did play in 14 games, but I feel like if he was playing like with the Sixers from day one, this wouldn't have been a surgery that he would have had. You know what I mean? I, I feel like he would have got it in the off season and he would have played well. But they, I hate to say it, you know, they're drafting players because they want to acquire draft picks and they want to acquire assets at this particular time. So, you know, go ahead, have your surgery. You know, you work out in a, a couple of weeks, you do what you have to do, and we'll get you to another team. So that's yeah. what it was like. That instance. I saw Oklahoma City will control the draft. They have 34 picks, 17 in the first round, 17 in the second round over the next, like, two or three years. It's crazy, something like that. You think we'll see anything in the buyout area uh, in terms of filling any other needs, or is this going to be the team that they go to battle with? I think we'll see some. We'll, we'll see something. You know, like, you know, they talk about, like I talked about, they need a guy who can create, right? But they also need um, some depth. I mean, yesterday, depth at the uh, center position. I mean, yesterday you look at Dwight Howard, he was the only center on the roster, and he gets ejected after six minutes on the court, right? So he needs to 
they need to shore that up. You know, as much as I like um, B-ball Paul, like Paul Reed, you know, we still have to remember he's a rookie in the NBA. And the talent level from the G League to the NBA is a little bit better, a whole lot better. And he's a power forward, and he had to play center last night. And you look at Mike Scott, and you say to yourself at 6'8", can Mike Scott play center? So, you know, the Sixers need to shore that up. Um, I don't know if this guy, if the Iggy that they just got, you know, if, if he could be a, 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 a valuable piece um, for them, but they do need to get some depth just in case something happens to Embiid and just in case Dwight Howard gets ejected again. <laughs> you know, you mentioned the game last night, Dwight Howard's ejection, which seemed ridiculous. I was wondering whether you ended up with a technical foul and they were going to bring you in the game. What did I see last night with all of the technical fouls? The the second quarter, while late on the East Coast, was some of the uglier basketball I've seen in a while with all of the air balls on both ends of the court. What did you see in this game that the Sixers ended up pulling out and have continued to win despite the fact they haven't had Joel? They just got Seth Curry back. They haven't always had Ben. And yet here they are at 32-13. and 13. They've won four in a row again and nine and one in their last ten. Now here's the thing about that game. Like I'm, I'm gonna put a mulligan on both teams. I guess if I, if I could, if I, if I termed it right. Because here's the thing. Like you look at the Lakers, and I mean, you know, they have two max players in Anthony Davis and LeBron James. So you really can't afford to go out there and get a lot of like, like great players. You got to have role players who play off of those two. So with them struggling, like I look at it as if like, okay, that's what you expect because they don't have their horses there. The rest of these guys are role players at best, right? And you can say the same thing about the Sixers. And the worst thing for both teams, both teams, like, because both of them were involved in the Kyle Lowry thing. So both teams, they had role player guys who did not know until like 12 o'clock that day if they were going to be on that team at all. So coming to the arena is one of those things where, a, you're you're upset with the organization because you know that the coach and basically the front office people are out there saying, "Hey man, you know we love you and all, but we're trying to get Kyle." So you feel like a little like, "Man, I can't believe they did that to me." So all those things lead to ugly basketball. But with that being said, you know you if you're the Sixers, you know if you win great or you win ugly, a win is a win, especially when you look at it and you see how the Brooklyn Nets are now third in the East. <laughs> so, you know, the Sixers are doing that part. It's just like Brooklyn isn't doing it. So when Joel gets back, you know, that just gives you more confidence to, you know, to keep doing what you got to do. Is there any idea when Joel is going to come back? What's the state of his health right now? You know, I, I talked to a couple of people. They, I mean, they say, you know, they, it, it could be um, like no one wanted, wants to come on a record or say anything. They're just saying, oh, it could be one of the games next week. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, maybe like next Thursday or something like that. But the way that I get it, you know, I don't know if that's like worst case scenario, best case scenario. But, uh, you know, Thursday could be a target, is it, a target date. But from what I'm hearing is he has to go through a lot of um, hoops, so to speak, to get to that point. Um, you know, so we'll see. We'll see. Keith is a basketball yeah. fan. When when you knew you had to go on this West Coast trip, I'm sure you circled the Lakers game as probably the hardest game that they were going to have on this trip. You now have Aaron Gordon, who's heading out to Denver, as well as uh, JaVale McGee as the backup to, to Jogic. 
What are you looking forward to? Is is Denver now the hardest the hardest uh, battle on this trip? I think it's the Clippers. I, honestly, I mean Denver is good because of the altitude, but when you look at the Clippers, like I mean, we're not too far removed from when Kawhi went ahead and um, did what he did against the Sixers, right? You know, when he hit that he hit that game winner. Um, you know, you look at Paul George too. And, you know, we look at a Sixers team that they give up a lot of points to elite guards. And I'm looking at these two. You know, Paul George is a two-guard this season. You know, Kawhi is the three. Um, I'm looking at the Clippers as, as a tough matchup for the Sixers. And not only that, it's like now I know Doc Rivers is going to be motivated. But at the same time, you think they're going to be motivated too to go up against their former coach. So, you know, I think that that's going to be a good one. The thing about Denver is the altitude. The altitude is the thing that kills you. Um, you know, you don't have Joel. That's going to hurt as well, um, you know, if he doesn't play. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that, um, that, that could happen. But believe me, don't sleep on this Clippers game. And like you said, the Lakers, if the Lakers had LeBron and AD, yeah, that would have been the toughest one. But you had to look at it and, like, realize, like, okay, if they beat the Knicks, they could possibly beat the Knicks, too. Because Steph Curry without Steph Curry, I mean, Steph, uh, the, the Golden State Warriors without Steph Curry, man, they're not that good, right? And then, like I said, the Lakers without LeBron and AD, come on, man, like, whoa. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you you, you had to fact, figure that like, they would have a chance to go 3-0. and but I think it's about to get tougher the next two. Like that's why everyone's saying, I hope they could split. I just hope they could split. Well, to me, the biggest problem is your only senator appear senator appears to be Dwight Howard. And whether the the first technical foul should have happened or not, um, Doc Rivers came out pretty strong uh, saying that Dwight Howard kind of didn't do the right thing. I'm kind of trying to be diplomatic about it. Is the, biggest dif- is the biggest difference between Doc Rivers and Brett Brown the fact that Doc Rivers is, is able to, to get these guys to do what they need to do and kind of keep them in line as opposed to Brett Brown, who kind of just let everybody kind of do their own thing and didn't really speak up? I don't know. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm tired of talking about Brett Brown. I mean, because, like, it's, like we could – I mean, and I'm not knocking you for that question. But it's mm-hmm. like that. Like I think Doc Rivers is a better coach. I mean, let's let's keep it real. I think he's a better coach. And and I also, you know, I mean, like it's easy. Yeah, you know, Doc Rivers will will tell it like it is. Like you know, Brett Brown would be the type of guy who like it's one of those things where it's like, all right, I'm gonna keep this in house. I'm not gonna discipline the guy. So like, if Ben Simmons didn't shoot the ball or Ben Simmons didn't do something. You know, he would make it seem like you're crazy for asking a question. And he would, like, totally support the player. Well, Doc, what Doc does is as soon as, you know, Dwight did what he did, he basically called them both clowns, right? He said they were clowns, both of them. And then he talked about, like, you know, Dwight, you're the only center. That would not have happened with Brett Brown, you know. It would not have. And, you know, but I think that when you look at it, you know, the big difference is it's like he's just a better coach. I mean, Doc Rivers, and this isn't a knock against Brett Brown. I mean, like when I first came on his beat eight years ago, 
there were three coaches who were like elite coaches at that time. Greg Popovich and Doc Rivers, right? And um and the and the coach of the New York Knicks. They were the three coaches that everyone talked about. The three. I'm talking about the guy there, what's his name? The Knicks now. What's his name? His name escapes me. But but they were the three Thibodeau, Tom Thibodeau. Tom Thibodeau. They were yeah. the three coaches that everyone talked about. And you look at it and you know, Popovich and, and Doc Rivers are both in the top ten of coaching wins. You know, they're both gonna be Hall of Fame coaches. So when we, we talk about that, and then let's keep it real now. This was Brett Brown's first job as a coach, and then he got these elite guys. You know, Doc Rivers, this is his fourth team. He won a championship. Popovich won a championship. So it's like he's just not on that level as though. You know, it's kind of like it's like it's kind of like a Michigan guy, you know, when you got an Ohio State coach. <laughs> hey, hey. Keith, you can knock Jeff anytime you want. We do it all the time on the show anyway. So you know, you know, last week you got knocked off by technology. You couldn't get knocked off like a minute before you said that. (laughs) Keith, have a great rest of your travels on the West Coast. We look forward to following you at Pompeii on Sixers, uh, listening to the podcast, catching you in the Inquirer. Always appreciate getting to catch up with you. Safe travels, man. Hey, thanks for having me, fellas. And 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 go Michigan. There you go. Oh, there you go. Jeff, did you pay him for that? <laughs> no, because if he would have said it right, he would have said go blue. But there you go. There you yeah. go. But 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 he and I are also pit grads, so you are pit grads. Yeah. Uh, take shots at you. It's fine. They they, they just think the they just think at every sport right now. So then I'm not the only one doing it. Jeff, we've got like four minutes left. I want to get to a little bit of hockey. Uh can we not? Can we just not like like, what are you going to possibly say that's, that you want to end the show on that? I guess we will, but. Oh, we can go to something else you pick. Well, no, what I wanted to do is, and I talked to you beforehand, is I think that we need to have Mayor Kenny on to see if we can get him to ban Zabinijad from, from Philadelphia, because nobody in the last hundred years has had six plus points in consecutive games against the team. It, it is embarrassing what they did. And, and I've got to wonder at this point whether it is so in Carter Hart's head regardless of whether it's all his fault. And by the way, he should have gotten an assist on that goal against him uh, the other day where he literally handed the puck over to the other guy. Um, that maybe it's time that you got to say, Carter, you got to go, you got to go down and clear your head. They you got to sit him down. The game I was at last week, Carter Hart was not the backup goalie. Lions was. They are 15, 13 and four on the season. They've given up six or more goals, six times through 32 games. They did that only five times in 69 games last season. They're four, nine, and one this month, giving up 3.66 goals a game. Jeff, they've been outscored 23 to nine, and they've given up five hat tricks. This is not pretty hockey that we're watching right now in Philadelphia. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's worse because it's against their rivals. I mean, it's against the Rangers and the Islanders and the Capitals. It's, it's just... It's a mess. The season is a mess and it comes on the heels of last season where they were a feel good story. And it's just, I think it's hopeless for the season. And thank goodness. Thanks goodness. That opening day is next week to fill the void. They are at back at it against the Rangers tomorrow. Did you see the ref oh, get fired? Oh, good. <laughs> who who the, wants to play goalie in that game? We've got like two minutes left. Did you see the ref get fired for the hot mic incident in Minnesota? Yeah, he should have been. 
do you think that happens more and we don't catch it with technology? Uh, I don't know, but uh, you may want to keep your mouth shut if you're going to say things like that. I mean, how do they not know? Well, Especially they, you, now when, when you don't have that many fans in there, we all know that we can hear more. Look, you know that I've worked with people in marketing communications for years. I've told them, always assume you're being recorded. Yeah, well. <laughs> always assume you're being recorded. Uh, <laughs> back to basketball. Your thoughts on Michigan uh, in the Sweet 16? Uh, I'm still nervous because Livers is, I don't think Livers is going to be back and he's their best player. And it's just going to be difficult because Florida State is a really good defense. Um, I mean, I still think that Colorado under normal circumstances would have crushed Florida State. But Florida State's a good team. And so I'm not sure anybody other than Gonzaga or Baylor has a real chance of winning this tournament. Uh, I I wonder how Houston plays after overcoming Rutgers. They gave them a scare. Rutgers coughed it up. They they had that game. Yeah, um, yeah I'm sure the University of Houston thinks that the Rutgers victory was the greatest of their school. I did history. not say that, Mr. <laughs> Sarcastic. Thank you. What do you think Villanova's chances are against Ballard? And, and, and if you if you want me to feel old, last time I that I thought University of Houston was relevant was Fi Slamma Jamma with Elijah Wan and Drexler. So if you want to feel old, I was two years old the last time Rutgers had won a game in the NCAA tournament in 1980. I, I do have to say that I was really happy for, for you and Rutgers when they won their first game. I mean, right. uh, it, 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 was, it, it was a feel-good story, but I just knew that you wouldn't be happy with the feel-good story. Well, that's going to be it for this, Jeff Week. That's your last word. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week.